we're going to understand why and then make some application from a principle that's demonstrated in this. So Joshua 21, verse number 1. Then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites, the tribe of Levi, unto Eleazar the priest, and unto Joshua the son of Nun, and unto the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spake unto them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. The representatives of the tribe of Levi spake to Joshua, saying, The Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give us cities to dwell in with the suburbs thereof for our cattle. For those of you who uh, haven't been here, the, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Issachar, the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Naphtali, the tribe of Asher, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Manasseh, and the tribe of Reuben, and whatever other tribes I'm not remembering, they were given specific portions of the land, but Levi was not. Their purpose was, or their lot, was to be given suburbs within these tribes. So the next 38 or so verse, or excuse me, verse 3, and the children of Israel gave unto the Levites, notice this, out of their inheritance. So the tribe of Judah gave cities out of their inheritance. And the tribe of Simeon and Issachar, Dan, Naphtali, Asher, Judah, they, they gave suburbs and cities out of their allotment of land as the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their suburbs. So the next 37, 38 verses details what cities out of what tribes they were given. Please skip down to verse number 41. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 40 and 8 cities with their suburbs. These cities were everyone with their suburbs round about them. Thus were all these cities. So the thought is this. The Levites in your land. And a very helpful principle that honestly was very convicting to me. And I trust that God will meet with us and help it to be either encouraging, convicting, challenging, whatever it needs to be in your life. Father, thank you that we have opportunity to assemble together. I pray that you would bless your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your love for them and desire to work in them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. So we have a, we have a rule in our house. My wife, Ann, sitting over here on the left side, my left. And we have a rule in our house that, that you don't come in our room without knocking. And this is for our children. We have eight of them. It's like a daycare. It's like a herd in there. And then Jaron right now is still learning that lesson. You say, what lesson is that? You have toys that you can play with. You have rooms that you can go in, but this parental suite ain't one of them. Literally, we have, and this is wonderful when you parent this way. I understand not everybody parents this way, but it's wonderful. That master bedroom is like a sanctum from the chaos that are the eight children that are like me. You got to knock before you come in. And so we practice that. I mean, kids come in there like, what are you doing? Well, I came. No, 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 no. What are you doing? You see that threshold? You see that door? Did it say come in whatever your name is? Did I send you a text? Did I hit you up on Instagram? No, 
you knock, and then I say, who is it? And then you tell me who it is, and then I say, what do you want? And then you tell me what it is you want, and then I deem whether or not your cause is worthy of my attention at the moment. You're like, you don't really do that. Ask them. Some of them are sitting up here. One of them's in college. Some of them are back there. You ask them. No, you don't, you don't just get access. I have, it, I have it sectioned off. Andrea is my wife. We have different roles, but we're equal before the Lord. That's going to make some of y'all feel weird. God doesn't value a husband or a wife more. No, different roles. It's a different structure. That's a biblical thing. But we are both joint heirs with Jesus Christ. She has access to any room in my life. Oh, so my office over here has a sign on it. You slide it. Miss June got this for me. I love this sign. It says, enter and do not disturb. That sign applies to most people because sometimes a pastor just needs to be able to think. A pastor needs to have some uninterrupted time. A pastor needs to have moments when he can focus on certain tasks. I get that. And my door stays open a whole lot of the time. But there are some times when I need some quiet moments and I need to be able to focus and I need to be able to dig into the Word of God or to go over certain things or to have conversations with people. But there's one person that sign never applies to. Andrea. I don't say this to a lot of people, but I have said this to her, babe, the sign on that door never applies to you. Come in. Here's what it's called, access. Giving, giving her. And she gives me because we love each other and because we, we desire each other's best interest. By the way, this isn't what this message is about, and this may not even be helpful. I just want to throw out a really encouraging tidbit of information. If you're married, it's really a good idea for your spouse to have access to your phone. Dudes, you shouldn't have a problem with your wife knowing your passcode. No, that's way too quiet. No, your wife should be able to get on your phone without you losing your mind about it. You really shouldn't have anything on your phone that you want to hide from your wife. And ladies, it's okay for your husband to be able to get on your phone and to look at it. And I'm thankful that we share a passcode. We literally have the same passcode. And she can get on my phone and I can get on her phone. Why? The point isn't to check up on one each other. The point is this. I love her and trust her. Why wouldn't I give her access? She loves me and trusts me. Why wouldn't she give me access? Well, the Levites were one of the original 12 sons of Jacob. In our text, there's, you'll notice that there's not an allotment of land given to them. And then when you look at the allotments of land, as we're going to do in a few minutes on a map, you're going to notice that you don't see the tribe of Levi listed anywhere. In fact, the two tribes that you see are, that are in their place that are not the original, one of the original 12 sons. They're actually two grandsons. They are descendants of Joseph, who was the son of Jacob. They are Ephraim and Manasseh. And those sons take the place of Levi, and so that, that Joseph is represented by his two sons, but then Levi is uh, also, his spot is taken, and so you have 12 tribes that inherit the different portions of the land, but the tribe of Levi is intentionally left out of inheriting specific sections of the land. They weren't given any land because God had a special 
and unique purpose for them. Now, we're going to do what we did a few weeks ago, and we're going to go through some things on the map. A few disclaimers about the map. Number one, I don't know that every single jot and tittle of these maps is biblically accurate. So if you're an expert on these kind of things, please just show grace and forgive me. Number two, it's really challenging to find one map that suits all your different purposes. And so they're all maps of Old Testament Israel, or supposed to be, but because of how, what we're trying to point out, they look different. There's different nuances, so just understand that. So first, we're just going to look at a map of how the tribal divisions. You have Simeon in the south and to the north of it. You have Jubin and Reuben, Benjamin, Dan, Ephraim, Gad, Issachar, Manasseh, Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali, and Manasseh. You have the tribes of Israel. And this would have been very similar, approximate to how those divisions were made and when the different tribes received their inheritance. But the one tribe that you don't see, the one son that you don't see, is Levi. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13, verse 14, they're distributing the land, having victory in the land. God is giving them the land to inherit. Notice verse 14, only unto the tribe of Levi, he gave none inheritance The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said unto them. And so he he says that it's the Levites' specific responsibility to occupy themselves and to be busy with the work of ministering to the Lord, sacrifices. We're going to look at a couple more passages in just a moment, so keep your Bibles handy. But, but Reuben would have, Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, they, they made the, the appeal to Moses before they crossed over the Jordan. And you see that line going up along the center, and that would have been the Jordan River. And when they were getting ready to cross over, they said, can we inherit this side because we are people of cattle and this land is good for raising cattle. And there would have been sections that were good for seafaring communities, and there would have been sections that were better for raising crops. And so each, each tribe's land represented in some ways their specific niche or bent in what God had equipped them to do. And then they were supposed to take that land and be productive with it. But God had determined that the tribe of Levi, they weren't going to have uh, a, a specific purpose regarding land. They were going to have a specific purpose regarding ministry. And they were going to be busy about the sacrifices and carrying on the ministry of God for the sake of the people. Look at Numbers chapter 18. And I just I want you to see where the point is coming from. Numbers chapter 18, verse number 20. And the Lord spake unto Aaron. So he was the original, he was the first priest in the nation of Israel, high priest. Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part in thine inheritance among the children of Israel. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. This is a separate point, but this is Old and New Testament. If a person is going to give their life to the ministry of God, then the blessings that he gives to his people should be used to care for his needs. It's biblical Old and New Testament. And it's not the point this morning. Neither, verse number 22 Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear sin and die. 
So basically, you can't, I'm not asking all the different tribes to come into my presence, but verse, in that way, the sacrificial offering, the sacrifices, and going through these ceremonial processes, verse 23, but the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall bear their iniquity, meaning they're going to be representatives for the rest of the nation before me. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they have no inheritance. But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore, I have said unto them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. One more passage, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Turn back towards Joshua. If you get to Joshua, you've gone too far. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Look at verse number 1. The priest... The Levites and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. Therefore shall they have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance as he hath said unto them. Then notice this. And this shall be the priest's due from the people from them that offer a sacrifice. And then he explains that. And then verse 5. For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord. Him and his sons forever. And then it goes on to elaborate when a, when a Levite might move to a different city. How that they represent. They are representatives. They are ministers of God on behalf of the people. Look at it. It may not seem significant. You may read that and think, well, this really isn't a big deal. This was a big deal. That the tribe of Levi, their service, their lot in the promised land was to represent God to the nation of Israel. To carry out his sacrifices, to teach his commandments, to make intercession on behalf of the people and to pray for them. It was no small thing that the Levites, and please get this, it's so important to understanding the point that we're trying to make. The Levites were God's representatives among the nation. They stood on behalf of God representing God to his people. They made sacrifices on their behalf. They made intercession on their behalf. You can read how Aaron would pray for God's people and for mercy. And they would teach the commandments so that the people would know how to follow God and how to live their lives in a way that would be pleasing to God. The Levites were representatives of God to the nation of Israel. So now it's time to receive their inheritance, but instead of them receiving their own large swath of land in one specific section like the tribe of Judah or like to the north Benjamin and Dan and to the north of that Ephraim, instead of being given one large swath of land that is theirs, they receive different cities from every tribe. You saw it in Joshua 21. Verse number 41, all the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 40 and 8 cities with their suburbs. I'm just going to read this for the sake of time, but in Numbers chapter 35, verse number 8, and the cities which ye shall give shall be of the possession of the children of Israel. From them that have many, ye shall give many, but from them that have few, ye shall give few. Everyone shall give of his cities unto the Levites according to the inheritance which he inherited and he says in verse number seven that the total number of cities is going to be 48 so he takes different cities from tribes and the number in some way was based on the size of the tribe 
and then you're going to give these cities to be designated as the possession of the Levites. Now I want to show you another map that highlights where these Levitical cities were. You keep this map in mind, and then you'll see this. So now you have all of these red dots represent the 48 cities. And so this is what you notice. The cities aren't in one location. Okay, you're looking at the map. The cities aren't in one location. You ready? Spread out. This is actually really cool. We'll get to it in a minute. Every tribe had Levitical cities in it. Every tribe had Levites in it. Every tribe had cities that were designated for the Levites. God wanted them to be spread out throughout the entire nation. There was more than one reason for this, but here's the, one of the primary reasons, and that was this, the word. I've already given it to you in the, in the illustration, access. You look at this map. Everyone has someone in their tribe that is a representative to God. This is really good. The Levites represented God to his people. You know what that means? They have access to the one who represents God. In every tribe, there are representatives to the ones who represents to the ones who represent God. I think I even threw that up there. 48 cities. God wanted them in every part of the nation of Israel so that everyone had access. But that's not the only access that God was concerned about. You read in the book of Judges, you know what we find? That people's hearts quickly turned away from God. And God was aware of the human propensity to believe in him, and then in just a couple of generations to forget him and forsake him and turn from him. God was aware of that human propensity. And so he didn't just establish these Levitical cities so that the burden was shared. And, we, and if the Lord's willing, we'll talk about that. He didn't just establish these Levitical cities so that the nation of Israel, all of her tribes, would in one way or another have access. He established these Levitical cities so that God would have, would have immediate access to the hearts of his people. So that in the tribe of Judah, when what they're being taught is the same that they're being taught up in the northern tribes. And what they're being taught in the coastal tribes is what they're being taught in the tribes over by Reuben that border the, the desert and, and Manasseh. That everywhere, God, in all of these tribes, God has access to the hearts of of his people. So here's the thought I want you to have. God placed the Levites in every tribe so, was, so there was access in every tribe. First of all this, there was access to God by his representatives. But second of all, there was this. God had access through his representatives to the hearts of his people. God, God in, implemented a system by which he could access the heart of every person in every tribe through the ministry of Levite, of the Levites. And look, I'm going to make this go black for just a moment. There are two, there's one really exciting point that we need to deal with. And then we'll ask a very important question. Number one, you can or you do have access through Jesus Christ. We don't go through sacrifices anymore. 
Because those sacrifices were never intended to be the ultimate sacrifice. And by the way, those sacrifices never saved anybody. They simply demonstrated a faith in the one who was going to come. The people in the Old Testament were saved like people in the New Testament. Well, how? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And an offering of the sacrifice was the demonstration of your faith in a Redeemer that was going to come. They may not have understood all of the different theological implications and nuances, but they understood what God had revealed at that moment. And in every age and in every dispensation generation, God has always worked in been willing to work with his people on the premise of, I am, and if you will believe me, then I will give myself to you. God wants to be accessible, and he's accessible today. I'm not going to read them all. You should check out Hebrews 4 sometime. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, it talks about how we, we have not an high priest that we, that cannot be touched with the healing of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And then in, in the next verse, if I'm remembering correctly, it says this, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. No, the eternal God, the holy God, is also not only holy, but he is a God that is full of compassion and love. And through Jesus Christ, he gives anyone access to him at any time. You can come boldly before his throne of grace. You can receive his salvation. You can have his help. You can have his encouragement and peace. 1 John 2 says that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And again, there are other places that talk about how Jesus is our go-between and through his sacrifice, through his resurrected life, through his blood, through who he is, that we have access to God. This morning, I have access to God not because I'm a pastor, not because I wear a suit, not because I've studied and studied the scripture, not because I've pursued education that helps me to be effective at that, not because I continue to pursue knowledge and understanding, not because I have a title or a position, not because I'm better than anyone else. I have access because of who Jesus is. And because I believed in him, then he's opened the door. And just like, think in your minds the image of my six-year-old son knocking on my bedroom door. And just like that, I can knock on the door of the eternal God. And because of who Jesus is and my faith in him, that door, I don't even have to knock on it anymore. It's always open to me because I'm his child. It's wonderful. I'm saved. You have access, if you have access to God, it's not because you go to a church. It's not because you do more good than bad. It's not because you've been baptized. It's not because you have religious rituals that you are loyal and faithful to. If you have access to God, it is only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have understood I am a sinner and I am in need of a savior and you have believed in him and called out to him and he saved you and the moment you believed in him, he gave you eternal life and he forgave you of your sins. And you say, listen, you don't know what's in my past. I'm just too guilty to have access. You don't know how much I failed. You don't know the things that have been done to me. You don't know the terrible things that have been in my mind. You don't know the terrible things that are in, in the wake of my life. You don't see all of those things. I don't. I don't, and I don't have to, because Jesus is sufficient. His death was sufficient to cleanse all of that, to wash it away, and to forgive you right where you are. 
It doesn't matter how guilty you are. And by the way, since you're so curious, we're all the same level of guilty. You say, well, I've never done what they've done, but you've, you've disobeyed a holy God. And in, in his economy of salvation, either you're all the way innocent or all the way guilty. There's no in between. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You may not have committed a crime worthy of being locked in a prison, but you've sinned enough to require Jesus to die. And that makes you guilty. And yet no person can be so guilty that Jesus won't save them. No, this morning, if you don't know him, you can, and you can have access. And it's not through a religious or educational process or through someone else in in a religious figure in some type of elevated position. It's through the Son of God alone. I'm thankful I have access. You can have access when you're sick and laying in a hospital bed. The doctor might not have answers, but God is still in control. You can have an access when your family has been broken apart. And you did everything you could to reconcile it. But reconciliation takes two people. You can have access to him. You have access to him when your children grow and walk away from the Lord. You have access to him when you're enjoying the mountaintop of success. And you have access to him when you're staring failure and and great disappointment right in the face. And it seems like you're living in a prison cell of regret. It doesn't matter where you find yourself at as a child of God. It's like the psalmist said, "If, if I'm exalted to the heavens or I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. You, you need to rejoice over this. Brothers and sisters, as a child of God, you have access to him anytime, day or night. And you no longer need a representative because through the completed work of redemption, we are kings and priests unto God. You have access. It's wonderful. You have access to God for anything, anytime, any place. Not because of you. Because of him. It's wonderful. And if you're not saved this morning, if you don't know that you'll go to heaven when you die, you can have that today. But here's the warning. That access is supposed to go both ways. If I, said, if I said to my wife, hey, babe, actually, I call her baby love with a U, love. Y'all get over it. Okay, baby love, I need access to your phone. No, no, I need, it's right for you to give me access to your phone. Okay, babe, but don't you think it'd be appropriate if I could have access to your phone? No, 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 no. No. No, you don't, you don't need access to my phone. You would say, Pastor, that, would, that really doesn't feel right. You know why it doesn't feel right? Because it's not right. Again, this isn't a marriage sermon, I'm just telling you, husbands, you could avoid a whole lot of sexual temptation if you would allow your wife to have access to your technology. Okay, I understand it's quiet right now. You can be awkward. You don't have to enjoy that. 
But we are susceptible. I am susceptible. And you would say amen if I started talking about the number of spiritual leaders or pastors that made really bad decisions and wrecked people's lives and wrecked ministries because, be, because of poor decisions that they made. But what is true of a pulpit is also true of a pew as well. And God doesn't just care about a ministry. He cares about individual families. And it's helpful if, if that access works both ways. Okay, I think you're on the same page with me. But that idea was supposed to be present in the nation of Israel as well. It wasn't just God giving access to himself. God was wanting the nation of Israel to give him access to themselves. What do you mean? How you live your life. How you inherit this land. How you avoid the idolatry that resulted in me throwing out the previous inhabitants. And remember, anyone that says, man, God's just a mean God. No, God is a righteous God and a just God. And it's documented. He says it over and over again to the nation of Israel. I'm not giving you this land because you're better than anyone. I'm giving you this land in part because of my covenant with Abraham, but also in part because the inhabitants of this land have become so vile and wicked to the degree that they're offering their own young as sacrifices. They have no regard for morality they have no regard for human life and therefore I am their wickedness demands that I judge it and so I'm casting them out and if you follow that same idolatry eh, did they follow that same idolatry Yes, if you know the Bible at all, you get into Isaiah and Jeremiah and you understand how that the nation that God rescued from Egypt and that gave this land, they ceased to let God have access to how they lived in that land and they themselves were then spewed out of the land as captives. You know what God is saying by placing the Levites in every tribe? It's not just that I want you to have access to me. But I want to have access to how you live your lives in this land. Can I remind you of this? God gave them the land. They didn't, take, they didn't have that land because they were better. And they didn't have that land because they were experts. No, God was the one who opened up the Jordan. God was the one who before that brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. God was the one who uh, brought down the walls of Jericho. God was the one who lifted them up from the embarrassing defeat to Ai and then gave them victory. God was the one who over and over and over again blessed them and prospered them and helped them and was with them. And it seems logical that the people of God would understand that if you gave me this blessing, then I should be accountable to you for how I use this blessing in my life. Well, what's true then is true now. God wants access to your land. No, God has given you access to him through Christ. But God wants access to your land, meaning your life. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 are some great verses about sexual purity. It says this, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God and ye are not your own. You know what we hear a lot today of? This is my life, this is my body, I can do what I want, how I want, with whomever I want. You want to reject Jesus Christ and live that way, that's, that's between you and God. 
And we're not about policing anybody's life. But I'm telling you, as a child of God, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he hasn't given you a body. And he hasn't given you passion and desire. And he hasn't given you the possibility of joying that in a very specific way for you to just go off and use it however you want to. You know what God says? Because I saved you, I have the right to dictate how you live your life. Ye are not your own. What do you mean? For ye are bought with a price. And then it gives this phrase, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. In Colossians 1.10, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. And I want you to get this point. It's amazing that God has given us access to him. And my access to him does not depend on how I live my life. Oh, somebody get this. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Listen, I can have access to him. I can be saved and then I can make a mess of my life I'm still a child of God Titus 3 5 not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us I'm not saved because of what I do but get this please the fact that you are saved should affect what you do I'm not saved because of what I do but the fact that I am saved should affect what I do Let me just show you one more map. I want to talk through a few things. The best I could find that was blank. Roughly that area. This is your life. And you look at these different sections, and it's all your life. But there are different sections of your life. You have your personal life. What you listen to, what you look at, what you read, how you behave, the places that you go. We all have one. Near these areas where not everybody sees. And by the way, not everybody's supposed to see every detail of your life. But God does. And just because it's not for public display doesn't mean it shouldn't still honor God. Your personal life. There's relationships. Anyway, I love our single adults. And there's lots of different reasons an adult can be single. But I, I love every one of our single adults. I love every one of our single parents. I love every one of our single adults that have never n- had romance or the opportunity to be married. I, I love every one of our single adults. And, and your life as a single belongs to God. And today, singleness is portrayed as a free ticket to do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want. Woo, I'm single, and I don't have any attachments, and I don't have to be weighed down with all these expectations. I can just have all these casual relationships and move from one thing to another thing to another thing. But God has a higher purpose for your life as a single. You say, no, I've got romance, and I'm married, or I'm moving towards marriage. God has a specific purpose for those romantic relationships. This makes me really excited. Romance is God's idea. No, he gave it. He created it. We love him because he first loved us. God wants romance. He created it. But he didn't create it for us to pursue it in our own way with our own means. And I'm telling you, young people, please get this. The portrayal of romance that you see on social media and that you see in entertainment is far from what God intended. And it's also far from what is fulfilling no, they portray romance as, some, as, as only. Romance is portrayed exclusively only some kind of explosion of a physical act without any commitment or understanding of right or wrong. And that over and over leaves people empty. 
But when romance is pursued God's way, it's wonderful. God has something to say about your relationship. Young people, I'm, I'm just still looking at you and thinking about you. God has something to say about your attitude towards your parents. Understand, none of you have perfect parents, even those of you whose last name is Pyle. And to my sons over here and to my daughters over here, you understand the flaws of your father. You understand the flaws of your mother. But your obedience is not predicated on our perfection. And some, some of you, you spend way too much time pushing back because you don't think your parents are always right or because you know they've made mistakes. But obedience is not based on a parent always being right. It's based on God giving you a command. Relationship. We talk about friendships. Talk about how to interact with one another. Finances. Yep, I knew it. He's going to talk about money. Do you know, we don't. Can somebody that comes here a lot say amen to this? We don't talk about money a lot. In fact, I don't talk about it nearly as much as Jesus records conversations about it in the Bible. Now, we're in the Gospel of Luke on Sunday night, so that's about to change. You might want to buckle up for that. But God actually does have something to say about your use of money. Tithing is not my idea. No, 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 pastor, I, yep, here we go. May just another money-hungry ministry. Are there money-hungry ministers? Are there ministers who, under the guise of something noble, have misused the resources of God's people? Absolutely, it's happened, it's been demonstrated. And at West Valley, we have certain things set up to protect those things. But I'm telling you, the flaws and the failures of people do not alleviate you from the responsibility of having your finances in subjection to God Almighty. And so much of it doesn't even have to do with giving to the church. It has to do with how you're living your personal life. What you spend. Where you spend, how much you spend, what your expectations are. Young people, by the way, you see couples in their 40s and you see couples in their 60s and you think, man, they just, they just get to enjoy that. I want to enjoy that. I want to remind you of this, that a lot of those people didn't enjoy those things right away. You know what they did? It's a word that you're probably going to have to Google the definition for. Since none of you actually have a dictionary in your houses anymore, probably. That was a joke. Sorry, parents. It's called work. They worked hard. And we know this because all their parents were poor. And their parents enjoyed some things after they got them out of the house. And your parents are going to enjoy some things after they get you out of the house. Ferrari! Look at something else. I'll, I'll try to move quickly. Parenting. Look, I, I know we live in a world today that says parents have to be held hostage by the demands of their toddlers. But you're actually commanded to be in control of your children. Well, well I don't know how. We teach classes on this. There's actually biblical methodology for you to be in control. Your children should not be dictating to you how you parent them. That's true when they're two, and that's true when they're 17, 18, 19. You're still going to live in your parents' home. You need to respect them enough to abide by their rules. 
Well, the law says that I'm a certain age. The word of God says that you need to respect and honor your parents. And if you're going to live off of their money, then respect their rules. This is super popular. You're the top career. Hey, I don't, I don't want everybody surrendering to what we would refer to as full-time ministry. Because not everybody's supposed to do it. We're all supposed to be full-time Christians. Amen. And your job is as much a ministry as me pastoring this church. But you know what I do want? I want our young people to feel this pressure. And I do mean pressure. And I want, I want adults to be willing to evaluate their lives, whether you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, to say, am I doing with my life right now what God wants me to be doing? And God's going to call people into the medical field. God's going to call people into the legal field. God's going to equip people to be trash men and to be plumbers. God's going to equip, equip people to be laborers. Work is honorable before God. And my concern isn't that you check a certain box. My concern is that at some point in your life, you have said, God, what is it that you want me to do with my life? And by the way, not every career promotion is necessarily a family promotion. Sometimes you need to say no to career advancement so you can keep advancing your family in the things of God. Church, I didn't, listen, I love, I hope you know this, I love this church I love the people that we get to minister to, but I don't want anybody here that's not supposed to be here. You know what I'm thankful for? God can use a lot of different places to get his work done. But if you're here, you need to be here because of the right reasons. Because Christ is exalted, because the word is preached, because his name is praised, because there is a genuine effort to interact with one another on a Christ-honoring level, and that we love one another. And if this is where you're supposed to be, you need to get into the degree that God wants you to be in. Super fun right now. Let me, let me deal with some hard things. I'm almost done, whatever that means. Look, I, I know this is hard. Please just look up just to the right of your life, tragedies. You know, sometimes people have tragedies that aren't their fault. We want to look at people's lives from the outside and we want to have opinions about every bad thing that they've gone through and say, yeah, I knew that would happen to them or if they had done this different or they had done this different or they had done this different. And really, you have no idea. No, I'll say it again. You don't have to say amen to it. Really, you have no idea about the backstory of the tragedy. We just live in a reactionary society that loves to have opinions about everybody else's business. And there's some of you that have had tragedies, and, and you've begun to question, man, where is God in all of this? If he loves me so much, if he, if he wants access to my land, then why did he let that happen? Why did that person have to die? And why did that person have to be sick? Why did I have to be sick? Why did that decision have to be made? Why is my heart broken right now? Why am I crying myself asleep alone every night? Why is this darkness within me all the time? If God wants access, but man, I love this. And, I want to, and I'm going to move on to the next point before I make the bigger point. You look at your failures. 
And I could put in parentheses the things that we regret. And you look, at your, you look at the things that you know you messed up. And every time you look in the mirror and you think about that moment or you think about that season or you think about those circumstances, you know, I blew it. I messed up. I failed. And there are consequences. And if I could, I would give so much to go back and undo it. But I can't. Can I tell you, God wants access to that. What, what what would he do with that? Romans 8. He's able to work all things together for good. To them that love God. In other words, to those who are willing to give him access. God's not afraid of your tragedy. And God's not embarrassed by your regret. You remember the song we sang, Just As I Am? No, we believe that. Okay, I don't think you're with me. We believe that. You can't have done so much wrong. You can't have messed up so much that God doesn't want you, that God's going to cast you aside. He is a lover of people's souls. And however you are, wherever you are, he wants to have access to your life. You click through it, your attitude, your thoughts. Some of you tolerate sexual thoughts that are inappropriate. Some of you are struggling and wrestling with suicidal thoughts. Some of you won't allow God to affirm the relevance of your existence and why your life matters in spite of how you feel. Some of you have a bad attitude about every authority that God has placed in your life. And every time you're asked to do something different than what you like or want, you balk at it. I'm telling you, God wants access to every single part of your life, and you're only going to be better when you give it to him. You know what we do? We do with God like I do with my children. It's not wrong with my children. It is wrong with God. We say, God, I'll give you the church. I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit of my money. I'll, I'll even give you parts of the parts of my attitude, but I'm just not letting go of this. No, God, I'll give you these things, but I'm not letting you have this. The danger is this. God gives us more access to himself than we actually give to God. Here's the statement. It's actually a question. Does God have the same level of access to your life as he has given you to his life. You know what I have? Full access. I love it. What in your life are you not allowing God to have control over? And I have to believe, whether you're watching online, sitting in this room, that there are people who would say, man, that area, mm, God's been dealing with me about this, or even right now, God is convicting me about this. Some of you, it might mean this. You just need to give the whole thing to him and say, I'm not saved. And today, he'll save you. But some of you are saved, but there are areas of your life that you have sectioned off and said, no, God, you can have access to this, but you're not getting access to anything else. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With every head bowed, every eye closed, Miss Becca will begin to play the piano Brother Nate is going to begin to sing in just a moment. 
Number one, do you know that you're saved? If you died right now, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? Is there anyone that would raise their hand and say, I'm not sure that I'm saved? If I died right now, I don't know that. But I want to know that I have access. I want to know that I'm his child. I want to know that I'm forgiven, that I'm redeemed, that I'm born again. I want to know that the moment I take my last breath breath here, I'll immediately be with him. If that's possible, and the Bible says that it's certain, then I want to know it. But I don't. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I just wonder if there would be anyone who would raise their hand and say, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you please pray for me? Just raise your hand very quickly and then put it back down. I'm not going to come to you. not going to embarrass you in any way. Just say, I'm not sure that I'm saved. God bless you for your honesty. Thank you. Let me ask this question. Would there be anyone who is, by not raising your hand, you gave testimony that you are saved, who would say, there are areas of my life where I am not letting God have access. I am trying to control. I am trying to be the master of. And he has convicted me. He has confronted me. He has dealt with me time and again. But I struggle in these areas to let the God who's given access to himself have access to my life. I wonder if there would be any of God's people that would say there are areas on my map that I'm struggling to let God have control over and I need his help. Would you raise your hand and say, I, need, I just need God's help in these areas. I see him all over the place. Thanks for being honest. Let's stand. Respond to the Lord. Brother Patrick, if you can take that off the screen. As Brother Nate begins to sing, if God has spoken to you, you respond to the Lord.